You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton. I'm a Miami Marlins writer as well as a minor league play-by-play broadcaster. And in this episode, we are going to be talking about Corey Dickerson. I had done an episode during the season on Dickerson and some of his struggles back in 2020. Now, I want to talk about some of those struggles in a different light, going a little bit deeper into it because I did break down his approach, but I wanted to do a deeper dive into the approach issues that he had and just how he diverted from his past and where he can hopefully go back to and have a more productive 2021 because we know the Marlins really need it, especially if they do not make any additions to the outfield. I will say that the Marlins do have some area for improvement in regards to just the roster they have right now, meaning that they could actually get a lot better offensively just by the guys that they have taking a step forward. Yes, we've talked about this before and we say this all the time, but it's not a young rookie that we're talking about here, hoping that it clicks for him like a Lewis Brinson or a Monte Harrison. This is a guy that has a legitimate track record of hitting that just struggled over a span of 52 games. I think if we look at it that way and figure that he can be closer to what he was in 2018 or 2019, then the Marlins are getting a huge boost offensively. Is that enough to compete with the NL East? No, of course not. But at least that is an area where the offense will improve a little bit. They still need to go get somebody, and that's for another time, as I've talked about that time and time again in the podcast. But let's look at this as an opportunity for the Marlins to gain some offensive production if Corey Dickerson can improve some of these things I'm going to talk about here. Looking at the overall stats for 2020, he struggled overall, finished okay. Overall, not the worst year ever, right? He still posted a 96 WRC+, plus, so just a hair below average. But the Marlins really needed him to be one of the leading producers on the team, and he just was not that. 258, 311, 402 slash line. Not typically what you'll see from him. I mean, he had a 565 slugging in 78 games in 2019. He had a 474 slugging the year before that, 490 the year before that. Goes on and on. And don't get me started with the Colorado slugging percentages. Those were in the mid-500s the three years he was there. So with the issues of Dickerson, the good news is the swings don't look much different than they looked in 2019 or 2018 or 2017. His swing looked exactly the same. The major difference was pre-swing, especially deeper into counts. When we saw two strike counts, Dickerson has typically been a guy that chokes up when he's behind in the count, but he choked up an egregious amount this past season with two strikes, and it started to reflect into his batted ball stats. And I look, I like a hitter that is willing to choke up and try to make contact with two strikes. I have nothing against that, but there's a certain level and a certain line you have to draw where if you're getting too contact oriented, pitchers will pick up on that and they'll take advantage of it. Instead of trying to blow one by you or getting you to chase, they'll throw you a borderline pitch that you won't have much to do other than roll over and hit a ground ball. And that's exactly what he did this past season. I mean, more than he ever has by a long shot. His ground ball rate jumped 16% to 52%, which is absolutely insane. 
and with two strikes, it jumps even higher, a 58% ground ball rate. And I call this the Joey Votto effect because as Joey Votto is aged, he's lost a little bit of his power, but the big thing for him is that he has started to choke up a ridiculous amount. And now he, with two strikes, is essentially providing no power. He's just trying to put the ball in play. And at the end of the day, the Reds need Joey Votto to be more of a producer like he's been in the past. I know that he's not what he once was, but it's the same thing for the Marlins. They really need Dickerson to be a masher and producer in the middle of the lineup. If this was Magnera Sierra, it would be another story. But this is a corner outfielder in an already light-hitting lineup that has a track record of mashing. I think some of it's not his fault, though, and it's the fault of where he's been in the lineup. I've not really loved Don Mattingly's lineups in the past, and I did not like putting Corey Dickerson in the leadoff spot. I thought it made him more passive, and he was okay in regards to getting on base, I guess. Not even getting on base. He was okay with batting average. He didn't walk at all. 278 batting average, 329 on base, so not bad, not great, but a 380 slugging in the leadoff spot, and he had 40% of his at-bats in the leadoff spot, yet he only had one home run. One of his seven home runs came in the leadoff spot, yet almost half of his at-bats were in that spot. And it's because I think it changed his mentality totally. He already had the propensity to choke up and be more contact-oriented with two strikes or just even when he's behind in the count at all. Now in that leadoff spot, I think there was even more pressure on him to just put the ball in play and try to get on base. The remaining six of his home runs came in every other spot in the lineup. And in the cleanup spot, I don't think it's a coincidence that his slash line was 343, 378, 543 in his nine starts with a pair of home runs. Really good there. He actually had more than half of the total hits he had in the leadoff spot in almost a third of the at-bats. So way more productive in the cleanup spot because I think it got him back to being aggressive because when we look at how passive he was, and this is what I talked about in the podcast that was during the season, and that Dickerson just needed to be more aggressive. Overall, as the season continued, there were times where we saw him jump on pitches, and that was more when he was in the middle of the lineup where I just wanted to see him attack fastballs because overall, just much more passive. The choking up, that resulted in weaker contact when he did swing. He had the lowest career average exit velocity at 85.7 miles per hour. He's never been a big exit velocity guy, typically in the lower half of the league, but he was in the eighth percentile this past season, which is just egregious. He should never be that low. And it's not like he's slowing down. He's 31. He's fine. It was just the approach. Then when you look at his just aggressiveness in general, his zone swing percentage dropped 5%, meaning he swung at pitches in the strike zone 5% less frequently, just swings in general 5% less as well. And first pitch swing down 7%. That probably had a lot to do with the fact that he was in the leadoff spot and did not want to jump early in the count in that leadoff position. So when you look at him at 2021, he's got to be in the middle of the order. I think that's a no-brainer, and you got to encourage him to be more aggressive. I think that comes with swinging more, but also with not choking up and being this contact-oriented guy because it was even affecting his plate coverage. You look at how he was able to hit pitches in the lower outside part of the plate where he was getting pounded a lot with pitches, that was where he was getting exposed, was down in a way because the ground ball rates were so high. You know what his launch angle was? 
in the bottom left quadrant of the strike zone if we're talking about from behind home plate. Negative 16 launch angle from the outside bottom corner. That's brutal. In previous years, it was more like zero. Obviously, you're not going to have a great launch angle from that spot. It's really hard to lift the ball when it's down and away. But on pitches down and away in 2020, a negative 16% launch angle and an 83% ground ball rate on those pitches. Previous seasons, he was not nearly as bad with the ground ball rate, keeping it more at the 50% range on the lower outside corner. And the launch angle was actually nine degrees on low and away pitches, which is pretty solid because he was staying back. He was able to drive the ball better. But I think when he was choking up more, it was affecting the plate coverage and he was more just poking the barrel at it and just hitting it on the ground. I just don't like to see that from him. I'm still okay with him shortening up with two strikes, but I'd just like to see some more aggression because the combination of the two, right? The passiveness, which is going to cause you to get into more two-strike counts paired with the fact that he's going to also shorten up even more so in those two-strike counts is just a bad combination and a recipe for weak exit velocities and a lack of production. With that being said, I'm going to give a couple lineups that would have Dickerson in the middle of the order and what it would look like with the rest of the order if he were to be towards the middle because we saw him in a majority of his starts, as I stated earlier, at the top of the order or even in the two hole quite frequently and in the three spot, which for whatever reason, he didn't love the three spots. So I like him more in the four or five spot in the lineup. I'm also going to float a couple more outfield options for the Marlins as things continue to shuffle around in Major League Baseball, which opens up potential candidates for the Marlins to acquire. But of course, that's all I can do right now is just speculate and float ideas because nothing is happening and we're hearing very little on rumors. So I will float some other names that could potentially make a lot of sense for the Marlins financially and in terms of age and just guys that balance the already good and can produce right away this year, but also still have some upside with them and you might be able to steal them away from another team. Real quick, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Why pay 20, 30, 50% more for the same auto parts when you can just go to rockauto.com and use their easy to navigate website to find whatever car part you need for any make or model. The chain stores and the car dealerships, they're charging you more. They're not looking out for you and it's a pain in the butt to go there, especially right now. When you go to rockauto.com, you'll be able to find the car part you need very easily for whatever car. And they've been serving auto part customers online for over 20 years. They're a family owned business. You just order the part there. They ship it straight to your door. Super easy, a no brainer to go to rockauto.com and let them know that Locked On sent you in the how did you hear about us section. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Also brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. BetOnline.ag is the only sportsbook we trust here at Locked On. And if you go to BetOnline.ag right now and use a promo code Locked On, one word Locked On, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit. So if you deposit $100, you get an extra 50 bucks on top of it. It's the best offer that any of our advertisers are offering here. And what a good time to get that 50% bonus because the sports world is busy right now. NBA season well underway. We've got the NFL deep into the postseason right now as we have the conference championships coming up. Hockey season started. We got college basketball. It's on and on and on right now for the sports world and also 
You could place your Marlins World Series future bet if you want with that 50% bonus. I don't know if I'd recommend it right now because the Marlins are incredibly quiet and the NL East is stacked, but that 50% bonus is yours to do whatever you like. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So back to this Marlins lineup and what it may look like with Dickerson presumably in the middle of the order, which is what I would want. The Marlins do not have a clear-cut leadoff hitter, but the traditional leadoff hitter has kind of phased out of Major League Baseball at this point. I still like Miggy Rowe at the top of the order. He packs a punch where he can run into some baseballs. He gives you good at-bats. He's a tough guy to strike out, but he's not going to completely change his approach in that leadoff spot. He'll attack the first pitch if he likes it. He'll battle with two strikes. I like him there, especially when you have a DH. If you don't, I still like him there because he's a gamer. He's a great guy to set the table where he's going to see a lot of pitches. He's going to battle. And I don't really think his production changes at all in the leadoff spot because he runs into the pitches that he runs into. But that's more of him taking advantage of hitters' counts, taking advantage of pitchers' mistakes. I think the same thing would happen in the leadoff spot. Now, the two-hole is a tough position, too. I could think Dickerson there, but I like him in the cleanup spot just because of that success he's had in his career there. But you could do Dickerson there. At least he's not in the leadoff spot, and it's still a little bit better. But I'd rather get him in some RBI opportunities. So I kind of like Marte to add some speed to the top of the order. He packs a punch there. We know that Marte can hit for some power, but he's also going to be the fastest guy in that lineup as long as Magnara Sierra is not in it. So to have some speed at the top of the order would be good because this is not a very quick lineup as we go through it. Garrett Cooper batting third. Great, consistent hitter. I think that's where you got to put your three hitter is your most consistent guy that can hit for some power. That's Cooper. Corey Dickerson in the four hole. Brian Anderson in the five hole because he loves to hit fifth. And I really like him fifth. He does come with some swing and miss issues probably compared to everybody else in the lineup besides Isan Diaz, who is going to be in this lineup in this instance. So I like him more towards that back end of the middle in the five hole, but he's great at driving in runs. He's phenomenal with runners in scoring position. Actually, one of the better hitters in baseball with runners in scoring position, incredibly clutch. So that's why you got to put him in a spot there where he's going to have as many opportunities with runners in scoring position as possible. I like him in the five hole. Jesus Aguilar in the sixth spot, a guy that doesn't strike out a lot. Sandwich between Anderson and Isan Diaz and Alfaro is something I like to mitigate the swing and miss liability in the back end of the order. Because when you go from Anderson to Isan Diaz to Jorge Alfaro, that could be a lot of one, two, three innings against certain pitchers. So, of course, I really like Anderson's offensive profile and I think he continues to get better. Isan Diaz is going to have to make some major strides this year. I did like some of what we saw in very, very short stints in this abbreviated season when he came back and then unfortunately got hurt. Alfaro in the eight hole, you know how I feel about him, but you know what? He's probably one of the faster guys in this lineup, which is the ridiculous thing about it. And at the end of the day, he does have the ability to hit for some power. If he can just be average in the eight hole and run into some baseballs, maybe I will not be totally miserable. And then in the nine hole, that's going to be a pitcher. I could do a DH lineup, but I wanted to kind of do it in a way where we would be looking at more of a crunch with the lineup where you don't have as much flexibility to move things around. And this is a lineup that's not going to be too bad. I think that could be a pretty productive lineup 
where Rojas in let's for round numbers assume it's a 162 game season Rojas should have 10 to 12 home runs in him Marte should have 20 if he really is locked in this year and hits more like he did in the first month and a half of the season Cooper has the ability to hit 30 home runs if he's healthy and plays a full season Dickerson should hit 20 to 25 if he bounces back I think Anderson really and these are high-end estimations but Anderson should eclipse 25 to 30 he's just been knocking on the door pretty much every year the last couple years Jesus Aguilar has got 20 plus home run power Isan Diaz you know you don't know what to expect from him at this point but we know the kind of power he can offer and Alfaro offers some power so you can make the case that almost every guy in this lineup can pack a punch and run into a baseball at any given moment and while a lot of baseball is that way at this point the Marlins lineup hasn't been at least that steady where you could argue there's power pretty much one through eight and whether the power is consistent, that's another story. But at least for the top of the order, there's some pre- pretty consistent hitters that can run into some baseballs. So I expect the Marlins offense to get a little bit better this year and find some more consistency because they never really got a chance to play all together. It was really rough for a majority of the year. And then even when they got the chance to finally play together, Anderson started slumping like crazy. Of course, Marte ends up breaking his hand going into the postseason. And as I just mentioned in the first half of this episode, Corey Dickerson was not Corey Dickerson. And Isan Diaz was not available. So the Marlins were going with Jazz Chisholm, who is just not quite ready yet. I think Isan has a better chance to, at least with his walk rate, if he hits 230, 240, he's going to get on base at a decent clip and can provide some value at the bottom of the order there. And Alfaro was really not even hitting. He had Chad Wallach in there for him, who's a major liability offensively. So there's definitely room for improvement with this offense. Speaking of room for improvement, a couple potential options that I just wanted to float, depending on what the price would be. We see the Blue Jays now. Well, it was probably imminent that they would deal an outfielder when reportedly Michael Brantley was signing over there. Now it appears that he isn't, but there's still a good chance that they deal one of their outfielders. It could be Lourdes Gurriel. It could be Teoscar Hernandez. We saw firsthand against the Blue Jays just how good Teoscar Hernandez can be and how hard he hits the ball. That would be a nice jolt to the Marlins lineup if they decided to go after him or if the Blue Jays decided he was expendable even though they did not sign Michael Brantley. Lourdes Gurriel was fantastic last year, a better defender than Teoscar and would be an upgrade as well, still young and cheap. Another option I really like for the Fish because of his power profile and still with some upside young and not expensive as well is Anthony Santander over with the Orioles. Just because he's with the Orioles, I think some of his power production has been ignored, but he has been a very, very productive hitter. I'd like to see him walk a little bit more, but I love what he offers at the plate would also add a dynamic to the Marlins lineup and can continue to get better. I think that Santander has a chance to be a 30-plus home run guy pretty consistently. I really think he's that good and packs that much of a punch, and he would be a great acquisition if the Orioles decide to trade him. But he's only 25, 26 years old, so with the Orioles starting to get some of that talent closer to the major leagues, Adley Rutschman not too far away, Grayson Rodriguez, stud pitcher, not too far away. They've got a couple pieces at the major league level. Ryan Mountcastle looked fantastic last year. So maybe they think Santander fits the timeline. But if they get a chance to add some close to major league ready bats or an arm from the Marlins, then maybe, just maybe, that could be a trade partner as well. Would be a great option for the Marlins. 
that's some of the candidates I like are some of the more young with upside guys that have already proven that they can hit and contribute in this coming season because I do think it's important for the Marlins to try to take another step in the right direction this year. That doesn't mean doing better than they did in terms of where they finished because that'll be very hard, but at least proving that they can compete on a full season scale. A little programming note, I will be interviewing the owner of the Marlins AA affiliate now. Quint Studer is the owner of the Pensacola Blue Wahoos, and he's going to be a very interesting mind and a cool guy to talk to. He has done some crazy wheeling and dealing with minor league teams through the years, and I'm excited to hear what he has in store and what Pensacola has in store for the Marlins this coming season. That stadium and that organization has been voted the best minor league organization several times across several different publications. They do a great job and it could be a great place to catch a game if you're ever in the area. So looking forward to that interview as well. So thank you for listening. Keep an eye out for that. Also, I'm one rating away from 50. I would love around 50. I don't usually ask for ratings, but the 49 has been bugging me. So if you haven't left a rating, I would really appreciate 50. Everyone that has left a rating, it's crazy to just see five stars like that and have the number just keep rising. I think I've been stuck at 49 for a little bit now, but it might be because it's the off season. But thank you for everyone that has always listened. And thank you to those that have left a rating and for the support. I'm looking forward to going into this 2021 season with you. It's going to be a fun one. Hopefully the Marlins add some talent before we get started here. You know, I'll be talking about it the second they do. I'll talk to you soon.